the craziest thing I experienced at one of the Pasty Towers? Anyone, yeah. Any one of them. Okay. It was probably about 10 years ago at the Keweenaw Mountain Lodge Tower. And it was in November. It was a bad ice storm. And one of the tree limbs broke off one of the large trees back by the maintenance shop, coming down and breaking the guy wire, one of the main guy wires to the tower. So one of the craziest things I ever did during an ice storm was grabbing a new guy wire, rigging it up, slinging it over my shoulder, and climbing a tower that was just flinging around like a water noodle in the, in the lake. Oh, my. Um, that, that, that literally, there were oscillations. The entire tower was in a sine wave where it was vibrating back and forth. Wow. And it was one of the middle guy wires. It wasn't, wasn't the top one, but it was still 60, 70 feet above, above ground. And uh, I climbed that tower, rigged into it, uh, got that guy wire on it because if we were about to lose the tower and lose internet for the town, I would never do it again. Risking your life for the town internet. Got to have your Facebook. Welcome to A Fresh Air Inspired Life. I am here today with the one, the only, Virtual Youper. How are you doing today? Doing fine. Quite a buildup on that. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's because you need it. The Virtual Youper is actually here today as a pixelated hologram operating on artificial intelligence. <laughs> I'm just teasing. He's a real person. This is our dear friend in the community, Mike Musial. So thanks so much for being here today. It's a pleasure to be here. And by the way, the whole virtual Uber thing, you know, I, I first started podcasting uh, December 2005, January 2006, and everybody was going by pseudonames back then. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> although I've always wanted to live here, well, not always, but since 1974, I've wanted to live here. But I'm not a natural-born Uber, so I'm a virtual Uber. That's ah, where that name comes from. Fair enough. I'm not a natural-born Uber either. Oh, it's all right. We'll be okay. Um, yeah, so Mike is here today because he helped me set up this podcast as an OG podcaster, as he just mentioned. Also, because he maintains the area's internet service on Rockway Mountain and at the Keweenaw Mountain Lodge, because we don't have cell service in town. And he's also a local paramedic. So, very cool person to have in town and uh, to be speaking with today. So, let's start talking about the podcasting, if that sounds okay. good to you. Yeah. Uh, when did you start coming to the UP and why and what brought you here? Um, originally came up here, as I said, in 1974. Mm -hmm. My parents were avid tent campers. And uh, I have memories of growing up uh, from Memorial Day through Labor Day, spending as much time out camping with my parents as possible. I, uh, there were times that my dad actually would uh, set up a camp 
near where we grew up, which is, uh, I, I grew up in Woodstock, Illinois, before moving up here. And he would actually commute from the campsite, drive to the nearest town that had a train station, take the train into the loop, work in Chicago, and then take the train back and come back to the campsite at night. Wow, nice. And at one point, uh, one of my mom's uh, best friends, her name is Connie Parente, had an uh, antique shop in Union, Illinois. But she also had a uh, summer antique shop in Copper Harbor mm-hmm. called The Lost Child. And it used to be right next to where the Brockway Inn is today. Um, you can, might be able to guess uh, which house that is, since there's a, only a house on one side. Mm-hmm. But uh, <clears throat> anyhow, she had an antique shop there and dolls, and she had a big placard out front that said Palm Readings. And a very colorful <laughs> person. But she said, you should come up to Copper Harbor and camp. If you, you, if you like camping, you should try this place out. So my parents came up. I was a teenager at the time and uh, wound up coming up here in the middle of the night. It was like 2 in the morning when we got to a campsite on the East Campground. Ironically, I live about 200 feet from that campsite today. Oh, it was meant to be. And I remember setting up the tent and looking out the, the screen window and seeing the rotating green light of the Copper Harbor Lighthouse go across the trees. So that's my first memory uh, of Copper Harbor Beautiful. back then, hearing the waves come in on the shore and seeing the light go overhead. Nice, nice. And you continued to come back after that. Absolutely. It's It got in my blood back then, and I really decided someday I want to live here. Cool. It took a while. I kept coming back, though. Yeah. So would you say, is that what inspired you about the area to start as the virtual Uper? No, that came along a lot later. Okay. As far well, as that name is that? concerned. Yeah. Yeah, um, because... Uh, between the time I first came up here, I lived on the West Coast. I worked in England. I worked in Germany and Finland. I was working in Russia for a while. Nice. Um, and in the my work, actually, probably the most common areas I worked at were uh, from Alaska all the way through Canada to uh, Newfoundland. So I still was in the that upper area. Mm-hmm. And the whole area just kind of grew on me. It's like, this is the type of place I want to live. But I always kept thinking back to Copper Harbor in the area here that we used to vacation at that uh, was someplace I wanted to live someday. Unfortunately, um, fast forward again, when I met the wonderful lady who eventually was able to decide she could put up with me for more Aww. than 10 minutes and and, uh, and married me, we came up here uh, sight unseen on her case. Uh, I kept telling her about this wonderful place called Copper Harbor. And uh, she decided this is where we should have our honeymoon. And I think it was the second night of our honeymoon, she said, you know, we're going to live here someday. Nice. And it took a while. It took a while before you could get all our ducks in a row and make that, that jump up here. It was 18 years. We've had the house now for 21 years. Okay. Right. So how did the podcasting come in with that virtual Uber name? Okay. Well, we had just purchased the, uh, the house in the summer of 2002, actually. And uh, during that process, some really good friends of ours who uh, were vacation they, they would come up and vacation with us every year. As a matter of fact, they came up uh, about a week into our honeymoon, but they were best friends, you know, so, okay. so they, you no, they didn't them. stay with us, no, okay. nothing like that, but, <laughs> but uh, we kind of coordinated our vacations, so we'd be up here at the same time a lot. And uh, they were very excited to hear that we had bought the house, and uh, that started a whole process of, okay, 
we're going to do this. We're going to move to Copper Harbor and, and, and pick our lives up from Wisconsin and move up full time. And my friend Bob, uh, people who are now our neighbors, said, you know, you should document this for your friends and family, this, this whole transition to Copper Harbor. Um, Bob knew I used to be a, a DJ. And actually at one time uh, I was spinning records in clubs and he was helping me doing it as well. And he was working on alternative nights. So he said, you know, this new podcasting thing, you should look into it and start uh, documenting it. So initially I just did it for friends and family. I thought there would only be maybe a couple dozen people listening in, like the old days where you'd record stuff on a reel-to-reel tape recorder and send it off in the mail and everybody would kind of play it. I don't know if you're familiar with that concept or not. <clears throat> not really. Used to be a thing. Used to be a thing. You'd record oh, stuff cool. on a reel-to-reel tape recorder, wow. send it off to a friend, and uh, they would listen to it and add their own comments to the reel and send it on. So I just thought this would be kind of a, a local thing. Well, the connection with Copper Harbor being close to Michigan Tech, um, it picked up a lot more steam than I thought it would. It was actually, it was a big deal back then because you had to pay for your bandwidth. You not only had to pay for your server space, but they billed you on how much data was downloaded from that server at the same time. And uh, I think I uh, was a, with a hosting service called One and One at the time. And then this guy, who's known as the Podfather, um, Adam Curry, came across my podcast, and he was doing sample listening lists of what he listened to because there weren't a the, there weren't a ton of podcasts back then. There's a lot out, but uh, um, he is uh, one of the two credited with actually creating podcasting in the first place. And he put out a sample list of things that he listened to, and one of them was my podcast. And all of a sudden, my listen listenership just went off the charts oh yeah which was cool and not cool because all of a sudden i had these hosting bills <laughs> but um, um that's how it all got started there's a that there was a whole transition that went on from there and how i managed to uh, continue podcasting um thankfully pasty picked up the hosting of my my podcast and, and those hosting bills went away oh, but good. uh but uh, yeah it started back with with some uh actual regular listenership back in 2006. Nice. And you're still doing it today. Yes, I am. Yeah, I have between, there's here, one, two, three different podcasts I do personally, and I have co-hosted on another podcast for years. I think I'm up to like eight, 900 episodes out there total for wow. all the different podcasts I've been on. Wow. Very cool. I do listen to one of your podcasts. Um, that is the podcast that shall not be named. Right. That's a really interesting one to listen to because it tells a lot about Mike takes his microphone right in the field with him on some of these journeys. And it's you hear more stories like that crazy one we heard at the beginning. Pretty, pretty fun to listen to. And um, I guess I thought this was really cool. So I wanted to mention that you found kind of a, an inspiration when you started helping me set this back up and you really kind of got more on a back onto a regular schedule of your podcasts. And I'm, I'm kind of interested in what about helping me set up really moved you to be like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta keep doing my podcasts. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's uh, going to get a little personal, but I oh. think your listeners can handle that. Sure, I hope so. <laughs> um, I, I, I love the podcasting. Um, 
for those looking for my previous episodes, uh, most of those are offline right now because of some, some change in the laws. And all of my episodes are legal. Uh, they were done properly, but the burden of proof is on the podcaster. So I've got to go back and, and review and get more explicit permissions for music that I use and stuff uh, just to make sure it's all okay. So that was like that was the first kind of hit. Uh, it's something I love doing to, to take uh, catalogs offline that have been out there since, you know, works of art that have been out there since 2006 was a, was a little discouraging. Not just to me, but to a lot of the podcasting friends I, I have out there. It affects mostly people in the United States. Uh, the laws aren't that transparent where they're going to affect other podcasters in Canada and other places as much. But uh, it was a little bit of a hit. Um, I continued podcasting through the beginning of the pandemic. Actually, I created a couple of other ones um, uh, to keep things, you know, put stuff out there for my friends to listen to. But I got busier and busier in EMS. And uh, then at the beginning of last year, I lost my mom. And there was just a lot of things I was working through last year. And I think I might have gotten two episodes out the entire year, which is an all-time low for me. So things that just I just was working on continuing on as a paramedic, continuing on just getting things in you know in order in my own personal life, and uh, and I also partially retired last year too. So there just there was a lot of things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I missed the podcasting and seeing your enthusiasm for it just kind of pushed me back over the the edge there. It's like oh, yeah, fun. it's time to get going again. Yeah. So maybe more than you wanted to know, but uh, no, yeah, it, it, it rekindled things. It rekindled that's things. awesome. I'm happy I could be a part of that for you because I love listening to what you have to say out there. It's so unique. It's a really, really cool thing to follow along with. If you want to follow along with Mike at the podcast, that shall not be named. Yeah, I know it's a terrible name. No, I like to say <laughs> it. I like. I wish I could get it to echo. <laughs> yeah, and there's another one out there that's uh, Harry Potter based, and and I if you I think that's a YouTube only podcast. Oh, are we still okay. recording? Yes, We're we are. Great. That's mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. We're going through those uh, first podcast uh, glitches. Oh yeah, <laughs> troubleshooting. Uh, um, so yeah, there is a, there is a uh, YouTube uh, version of it out there too, but but I have the domain name. Um, oh yeah. Yep. Gotta have the gotta domain. Have the, gotta have the domain name if you want to control your own podcast. That's right. Let's move on to the Pastinet experience. If that's all right with you? Yeah, that's fine. Sounds great. Uh, could you kind of define what Pastinet is for our distant listeners? Well, Pastinet is the local internet provider service, and uh, and I don't. Know, do you know the story of how that? came about in the first place. Well, tell us. So there is, uh, there was an assisted living home in Calumet called Stillwaters. And uh, I'm paraphrasing this, probably cutting it down way too much, and we probably should be talking to Charlie and Jonathan for the full story. But uh, the short story is um, there was an assisted living home in Calumet called Stillwaters. And one of the things that all the, the residents knew how to do as an activity was make pasties. Mm-hmm. It's a local food. It's a it's a tradition here in in the UP. There is, and uh, they were making them for themselves, and they were making them for families and stuff like that. It's like, oh, well, you we should sell these things, and how are we going to do it? Well, there's this new thing coming out back then called the internet, oh, <clears throat> and uh, the general administrator and, and his son uh, knew how to get things going, so they created a uh, um, a server and, and dial up service, so they could actually put up a web page to start selling their pasties. 
So this whole internet thing started out as, as a food thing, and still is, actually. So they started this website so they could uh, sell their pasties, and since they held, had all the equipment to, uh, to host the website and sell the pasties, they started making the internet service available to the members of the community that helped get things going, and they just kept on expanding. They were really the, the first main internet provider in the two-county area up here. And it started up as wow. dial-up. And they kept expanding and kept expanding, and uh, um, they specialized in getting internet to places that that wasn't available. Um, there are new options today. There's Starlink. There's users. There's uh, DirecTV's links, um, but uh, they were one of the more affordable choices mm-hmm. out there. So they provide internet in Copper Harbor all the way down to uh, just north of Gladstone. Wow. They've got a pretty wide coverage area, and there's just a few of us doing it. I've been associated with them for 20 years. Um, I am a techie. I have an electrical engineer uh, background, and at the time I started helping PastyNet get their uh, service up and going in Copper Harbor, I was working for a company called U.S. Robotics, hmm. and uh, they were like one of the number one computer modem manufacturers in the world at the time. Wow. And I needed to be able to work. And when I came up here, I needed to be able to work remotely. And we just had dial-up. And it was a very bad dial-up. It was 22K for the the old people that listen to it that understand modem speeds and bandwidth. But 22K is terrible. Oh, boy. So um, I got involved back then to help them uh, get the service up and running here. Sorry, long answer to no, a short question. No, that's great. I mean, we got time. I love your answers. That's why I'm asking questions. So... You do a lot of the work for PastyNet. Um, how often do you have to go out and inspect or maintain these towers and locations? First, first tell us which, where these locations are, which towers, and then how often do you have to get out there, please? Um, well, there's a lot of them out there, and it's oh. divided between myself and uh, another technician. Uh, his name is Todd. But up here, uh, the main tower serving Copper Harbor is located at the Keweenaw Mountain Lodge. And uh, it originally was an old um, mobile radio telephone tower used for providing telephone service to the freighters and and services around here. Um, Then there's a, a microwave relay site on the top of Brockway Mountain up over the corner or kind of tucked behind some trees. We try not to make it so obvious that people see it when they're mm-hmm. up there to see sunsets. Um, and that's off the grid, so it's solar and wind-powered. And when things don't go right, we have to haul a little portable generator up there and charge the batteries manually. So that's the uh, last time I was up there to do that was about a week ago. But as you can see outside, today we've got sun. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm really excited about that. Sunny that just day. means I don't have to go up there. I know. Um, because it's automatically regenerating itself. It's, yeah, it's, it's being self-sufficient Good. today. That's great. Um, and we have another another microwave relay site on an observation tower on the north side of uh, Brockway Mountain. That's on okay. private property, so a lot of people don't even know it's there. Used to have a uh, um, relay station that was solar and wind powered on the far side of Gratiot Lake. That was about a four-hour snowshoe to get to. Oh, my gosh. Um, We've been able to bypass that one, thankfully, because I'm not getting any younger. <laughs> um, and then once we get out of Keweenaw County, pretty much everything is on the grid, but it's still microwave. Uh, the nearest fiber that supports uh, Internet up here for most of the county is down in, in Houghton County. Okay. And then everything is microwave relayed up here. And what does that mean, microwaved relayed? Um, 
there are no physical wires between where the internet, what's called a point of presence, is and uh, Copper Harbor. It goes through radio transmitters and receivers, and they're microwaves, so they're what's called line of sight. Okay. So we go from uh, uh, a tower that's near uh, the hut, actually. If you look in the back of the hut there, you'll see a tower up over mm. the trees. That uh, relays to the tower up on top of the old Air Force radar station at Mount Horace Greeley. Okay. And then we re relay from there to other tower sites and microwave sites uh, around Keweenaw County. But wow. it's a continuous continuous set of uh, uh, maintenance tasks to keep things going. Oh, my gosh. It sounds like it, especially with the weather that we get. I think it's here. challenging. Yeah. And people told me before I moved up here that I'd be going up to Brackway Mountain in 70-mile-an-hour winds in February in the middle of the night to fix something. I would have told them they were nuts. But it's just <laughs> another day in the life of a Uber up it here. It is. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for doing that. That's you kind of save the town a lot by doing that. It's really well, everybody does different things for this town. We do. I, I've yeah. got an interesting story. It's a little side, but do there it. are things that you know you think of can only happen in Copper Harbor. Sure. Back when we were setting up the original um, relay up in Brockway back when the gift shop was still up there. So mm -hmm. this would be two thousand three. Um and I was putting the original equipment up on the roof of the gift shop. I had a friend from Wisconsin that would come up with me to help do some of the work, who was also a um, computer and Internet pioneer of, of his own uh, standing. And his name's Jim. I won't get his last name out of here. But uh, we were working up on Brockway, and it was just getting into black fly season. So we got done for the day and ducked into the, uh, the gift shop to uh, – to get away from the black flies and just kind of regroup for the day. And there was a lady working in there um, that uh, uh, still lives in the area. Uh, again, I don't want to give out any names without permission, but uh, <clears throat> she's pretty well known in the area. She still lives in the, the Calumet uh, Lorium area. And she was working the gift shop, and I introduced my friend Jim to her, and, and we talked for a little bit and got done for that weekend, and Jim and I, I wasn't living here full-time yet, and Jim and I went back down to Wisconsin, and I came up the following weekend to finish up the work that I had been doing. Same thing. I worked all day. Black flies got bad. I ducked into the gift shop. And this lady was working again, and she said, Michael, your friend Jim. I said, yeah. I think I've met him before. I said, it's possible he's like everywhere. She goes, this may seem a little strange. I said, when it comes to Jim, just you know, it's Copper Harbor shoot. She goes, I met him in Moscow. Wow. And I said, it's quite possible because he's in Moscow this weekend. So I texted him. The story is um, this lady's son is a very was a very accomplished pianist, and he toured. And at one point, he was invited to do her. Uh, a, I don't know if it's be called a recital, but he mm -hmm. was playing in Moscow. They are of German heritage, and at the time especially, um, there were still very hard feelings. And she was in Moscow with her son trying to find some place that would serve them dinner, and nobody would let them in. Wow. And she was at a Mexican restaurant not far from the Kremlin. And I know ex and when she brought it up, I knew exactly where she was talking about because I've eaten there. Mm. And she was arguing with the manager, saying, "Just you know, please let us have some 
carryout or something. We'll be happy to pay for it. We're just looking for some food. He's like, I'm sorry, I can't do it. And she said, and then this tall American walked up with a couple of cabinet members from the Kremlin. And he just looked at the, uh, the restaurant manager and said, they're with us. And he invited uh, our local friend and her son to come join them for dinner. And it was, it was him, and that's where they met. Wow. To meet again on top of Brockway Mountain. Oh, my gosh. So it's one of those only in Copper Harbor stories. Wow, that is a great story. Thank you. Oh, man. What a man. Such chivalrous of him. Wow, cool. So you mentioned the, the weather. What would you say is one of your other biggest obstacles in maintaining these towers besides the weather? Weather is a big one. Yeah. Uh, weather and equipment. Uh, we're out there getting to sites long before snowmobile trails are groomed or trees are cleared, and we're out there after the maintenance is done. So it's um, thankfully a lot of the local residents step up and loan us equipment to get to sites that we need to get to, um, especially the main one on top of Brockway covers a huge amount of uh, area, including our, our county seat. It provides the internet down to Eagle River. So it's considered a safety issue, too, when it's um, uh, some of the internet used by the courthouse and the sheriff's department. And because of that, uh, we also get a lot of support from the local fire department to let, let me use their equipment when we have to do something heavy duty. If it's just refueling something or doing a minor repair, I can go up on a, what's called a backcountry type snowmobile, and I don't want it to be up on something that requires a groomed trail. But uh, uh, we had a very severe storm over Christmas and had sustained winds of 70 miles plus on top of Brockway Mountain. And we had just rebuilt the wind generator up there, and it tore oh, it to shreds. <laughs> so a couple weeks later, uh, my son and I went up there with a side-by-side -side, uh, loan to us. I think I can use his name because he does an Airbnb here. His name is Mark Elmer. He runs a couple of places in the area, and he has a, he has a retreat um, Airbnb right up on top of Brockway that's off the grid. And they have a... Um, a track side-by-side -side that they used to, to haul the guests up there and their luggage and stuff. So he loaned us that so that we could haul our toolboxes and a new armature for the wind generator and all the blades. And, and Mark and I packed all that up, including some uh, hot tea and coffee nice. and some snacks, and went up to Brockway and rebuilt the wind generator on site. That's stuff you normally want to do in the summer when you can take a truck up there. And, mm -hmm. and, but it, it's a whole different story to do maintenance off-road off up here in the winter. You have wow. to bring everything. You have to find a way to get it there and you find do. a way to stay warm. You do. And thanks to all those community members who help with the equipment that Absolutely. they have. Absolutely. Yeah. And, Absolutely. And their patience and understanding while these things get taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. It's a lot. It's really a lot to do. So people, when they, people often call you when the internet is out. They're like, hey, Mike, what's up with the internet? But that's not really what they should do. What should they do mm. instead? They should be calling the main helpline. And <laughs> uh, I put that out there on a regular basis, and people still contact me directly. <laughs> so. Call the main hotline. What's that number? <laughs> I don't know if I have it handy. Let oh, me look. No. <laughs> Normally I have it in my wallet. You would put me on the spot here. No, that's all right. That's we okay. need to know. People need to know what to do. Get out your pens and pens no, and paper. Put this on your we'll fridge. We'll have to put it up there later. Cause <laughs> oh no, no, I do have one. I do have one. 
I want to keep. I keep giving these things away. You'd think I'd have ah. memorized myself by by now. But um, if you're interested in service, I'm not trying to actually. I mean, is it this? If I, we're not really a for-profit organization. We're just trying to keep people connected. <laughs> right. But it's 906-289, of course, mm-hmm. and 8068. 8068. 8068. Call they, them if their call them internet or text is them. not working. Or text them. Yeah. Please. And it's a, that's a 24-7 number. Awesome. Uh, as opposed to, you know, people ask me, well, why don't you just turn off your phone at night? And... Uh, First of all, I'm a parent. Mm-hmm. I have two sons. I don't want to turn my phone off. Uh, second of all, I'm a paramedic. Um, a lot of times I get texts long before the pager goes off. Mm. So um, I am woken up on average two to three times a night uh, for an EMS text. I wake up, I look at the address and say, yep, that's me. Uh, nope, I can go back to sleep. So wow. when I wake up to check to see if it's an EMS, te- EMS text and I see, I can't get into my email, I'm not a happy camper. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. And it's all, it's all related. Yeah. It's part of living up here. All right. We have one, uh, one more category for Mike here to cover today, and that is, I kind of guess, the life of a paramedic. I'm curious. First of all, tell me, how many more par- paramedics do we have in town? Um, active, none. Okay. Um, There's none, people. There's no there, there, other. It, there is one other licensed medic in town, I believe. Okay. But I, um, and he's an incredible medic. I worked with him for years. But uh, he, I, I think for health reasons, he's probably done. Mm. I, I, want, I don't want to speak for him. Sure. But uh, um, I did have the, the, the opportunity to work with him for years. As a matter of fact, we had a I don't know if I can use this term on your podcast or not, but uh, they used to call it a shitstorm. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Things always seem to happen when we, we know work what that together. Means. Yeah. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've been doing that up here since I was I was hired by the service in 2008. I don't think I actually started calling the running shifts with them until 2009. I was a first responder before that. Okay. But uh, yeah. And so we- I'm really the only paramedic within about 30 miles. Wow. Thanks for what you do. We do have other first responders in the yes. area as well. Yes, we yes. So when someone calls the ambulance for you, you will get help. Yeah, we have first responders in, in Eagle Harbor, and uh, all the first responders in Copper Harbor are also members of the ambulance crew. So we've got uh, two other EMTs and a, and, a, and a first responder, medical first responder. Although the medical first responder we have here, uh, he has... 40 years of experience, so he's not just a medical first responder. Right, I suppose. He's seen it all. Yes. Oh, yeah. If he says something, we listen. Oh, good. And then we also have a group in in, uh, Lac La Belle and in Gay. So the area's pretty well covered. Good. That's good, because there's a lot of trails and things covering this area and lots of places to get to. So I'm curious, when did you get into the life-saving profession? Um... I got into EMS back in the earlier 2000s, uh, back when we had the farm in Wisconsin, uh, when our local communities were asking for additional first responder um, to, to step forward. And both my wife and I talked about it, and uh, she was interested interested in it as well, but we had young kids at the time. So um, I was the first one to start taking the courses. 
And uh, so I started out as an EMT in Wisconsin working for several different fire departments because our farm was kind of right in the center of several different areas. So I carried several pagers <laughs> to, to respond to whichever department it was. Wow. And uh, after being an EMT for a while, I went on to become what's called a specialist. And a specialist can start IVs and give some medications, and it's just the next step up. And we had decided to... Uh, when, when we did the, the due diligence before moving up here with our kids, one of the things we asked about is, like, why is there not an ambulance in Copper Harbor? And the answer we got back was there was no paramedic in the area. Mm. And I had already planned on getting my paramedic license, and I said, well, we can fix that. And I had applied to the local college and was told that there were no seats available. <clears throat> and would you like to get on a waiting list? So I said, well, yeah, put me on the waiting list, and then... Uh, Shortly after that, we headed up here for vacation and with with the intent of enrolling the kids in school and starting putting them in school that year and making them move that year. And uh, the second night we were up here, um, we got a call from the farm sitter saying, hey, uh, the college contacted and you know, called on the phone and said that a seat opened up at the uh, paramedic school and, you know, do you want to enroll they'll wait till Monday morning for an answer for you so Chris and I went to Great Sand Bay after having dinner at Harbor House one night and sat out there and talked and it's like do we want to delay moving up here so I could go back to college full-time and get my paramedic license and we decided that's what we were going to do so we we canceled our plans to move up full-time that summer and uh, I went back to school full-time and got my paramedic license and then then we packed up our toys and came up here. Wow. It's like you came up here with a whole extra bag of goodies and knowledge because you did that. That's really awesome. Thank and a little you. bit. No, not a little bit. A lot extra debt. It was, oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it, it had some financial repercussions on okay. us. Uh, first of all, we had a fully functional, fully licensed, up-to-code Arabian horse farm in Wisconsin. There are lots of people interested in buying it. Um, by delaying getting my paramedic education, and then moving up when we did, we came up right during the, the economic crash in 2008. Oh. And there were people lined up to buy our farm, and banks wouldn't give them financing. That's back oh. when they were requiring 30% cash wow. just to write a mortgage. And we wound up selling our farm for about $100,000 less than what? it was worth just because I was paying two mortgages and living in Copper Harbor. Oh, my god! Didn't gosh. want to do that for too long. But, you know, it seems like... People make those sacrifices who really want to move up here. It's like you just do what you yep. have to do. To, and then you get here and then you figure it out once you're here. Wow. And, and anybody who gets into EMS, they will tell you you don't do it for the money. Uh, um, I've been a paramedic for in, been a paramedic up here for over 13 years, and I make a lot more money installing Internet than I do as a paramedic. But and that's not why you get the license sure but both of those are very noble causes thank you as i said it's it's a community we all it have is. Our, our, our places up here and we all wear multiple hats it, it's true um so you are the only paramedic up here we do have where there is a team around here but um like you said one of the local medics is has been going for 40 years um how would you encourage other locals in the area to join this first responder team or however they can get on board. If they want to 
uh, respond in any way, shape, or form. There's a lot of opportunities, including the new uh, Keweenaw Search and Rescue Group. Um, and I would encourage them to talk to Sheriff Kurt Penella. Um, he is actually in charge of all the first responders for, for Keweenaw County. And, uh, or if anybody local wants to talk to me about it, I'd be happy to talk to them. Um, if you're looking at doing it as a career, I'll probably do my best to discourage you. Oh, but, don't uh, say that. <laughs> but um, uh, Ryan, I won't use his last name, but somebody who used to work at the Q1 Adventure Company up here, um, we had that conversation. He went back to school, became a paramedic, became a flight paramedic. Oh. Uh, incredibly talented gentleman. And I did everything I could to say, do you really want to do this for oh. a career? <laughs> But we're still kind of drawn to it anyhow. And it's, yeah. uh, I'm very fortunate. I have the full backing of my family. Um, I still have my textbook. I still have the pieces of paper with crayon drawings on it that were good luck drawings from both of my sons as I was Aww. taking my exams. And nice. I still hang on to them. What, what do you think it is when you say you're drawn to that? What is it that just moves you and other people in that field to just say, I know, I just, I want to save people's lives? I don't know if I can answer that. Oh. Um, it's not, at times, it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, I've had a lot of partners who have decided they can't take it anymore. Wow. And nobody thinks any less of them. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if I'd be able to do it. Um, I am very adamant that I credit Mother Superior mm. for keeping me sane in this. And I'm... I, I never was totally full-time at the local service. I was quite a bit. I was always like a few hours short of full-time for Mm -hmm. years. Um, So I was, especially coming from the harbor, our main station for the two county areas down by the airport. So there's, other than Copper Harbor, all the ambulances are based at the airport or the service is based at the airport. There's a couple of remote remote garages. But... uh, Coming from the harbor, I would go down there and live out of the station anywhere from one to three days and then come home. And uh, my way of dealing with the stresses of the job, <clears throat> excuse me, is um, I would come back through Eagle River and up 26, and I'd stop at uh, Esrae. And I would sit on the beach and watch the waves come in. And if I had to cry or if I had to do whatever, because you, you can't do that on the job. Right. You, you're on scene, you do what you got to do. And uh, I would sit at S-Ray and just let it all out and never had any problems sleeping by the time I got back to Copper Harbor. It was just gave it back to Mother Superior. Oh, she's so good at that. I think she does that for all of us up here, too, yep. no matter what we're going through. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And thanks so much for being here on our show today. I really appreciate that. As a parent... I can't think of any place I would have rather raised their kids. So it's been a wonderful community for uh, uh, the boys to grow up in. I'd like to share one more story. No, <coughs> please do. Please do. There's tons of stories, and sorry about clearing my throat there. For a while there, it seemed like every time we left, all our relatives are down in Illinois. And uh, it seemed like whenever we left for Thanksgiving or Christmas, something would go wrong with one of our vehicles as we were heading out of town. And one Christmas, we were all set, head out, and uh, we'd already ordered, and the Christmas gifts for the boys were already down at the grandma's. So everything was down down south. 
we started heading out of town, and we got about halfway up the hill to the mountain lodge. And one of the springs and the pressure plate of the, of the uh, truck broke, and we were dead in the water. And we were leaving, I don't know, I think it was the day before Christmas Eve. So there was just nothing to do about it. Um, got a ride back into the harbor. Had my Jeep. So we weren't like, we weren't without a vehicle, but we weren't going anywhere. Mm. But uh, a number of the locals knew that the kids' presents were in Illinois. And uh, we came on, came to town on Christmas Day and had uh, dinner at the Mariner, or breakfast, brunch, whatever they had that day. And I remember getting back in the Jeep and driving back to the house, and as we were driving in our front driveway, there was this big plastic garbage bag hanging from the handle on our garage door. <laughs> and I'm like, what's that about? So we uh, stopped the, the Jeep, and I got out and grabbed the garbage bag and looked inside. And there were a whole bunch of wrapped presents from the boys, from local residents, and anonymously. But uh, they made sure that the boys had something to open at Christmas. That is so sweet. That's the town we live in. That is the town. We're grateful. And I could Mm. give you lots of stories like that. Oh, (coughs) I'm sure. Oh, that's sweet. Wow. Well, thank you. Anything else you'd like to share? us today could probably talk your ear off but i think we'll, <laughs> we'll stop it there well if you <laughs> want to hear more of mike's stories you you hop on and find the podcast that shall not be <laughs> named <laughs> he's got some good ones thank you mike so much oh thank you all this right been fun yeah all right thank you and be good to yourself Bye. Bye. Bye.